Last week, we talked about religion versus relationship. What does that have to do with worship? Well, you might have experienced this in your actual life. You definitely can see different um, occasions of this in the Bible. But worship, especially when worship becomes passionate, extreme worship. Remember, one of the definitions of worship from Webster's Dictionary is to be wild about something. We sing that song, Bless the Lord, and it says, everything worships, everything breathes. You know, that's actually in the Bible. Like, worship is uh, giving honor to something. It's adoring something. Worship is, uh, you worship the thing that fills up your thoughts and consumes you. The sad thing is, is that not everything and not everybody worships the Lord, but everybody worships something. Whatever consumes your thought, that's the thing you worship. But when worship and our worship is directed towards the God of the universe, towards a Savior who died on a cross and made us right with God, man, the more we focus on Him, I'm telling you, you won't get duller and duller. You'll get more passionate and more passionate. When I was a kid, I used to think about heaven. I'd hear people say, we're going to worship forever. And as a kid, my idea of worshiping forever was the Bugs Bunny cartoon. You know, he died several times in the cartoon and his spirit would leave his body and he'd float up to a cloud where then somebody would hand him a harp and he'd play a harp sitting on a cloud. Remember that that happened in a lot of those cartoons. I mean, as a kid, I thought, man, that might not be the most fun thing to do forever. Like once I've mastered the harp and flown that cloud as far as I can, that might get boring if that's all I'm going to do for eternity. But that is a very, well, first of all, it's a wrong understanding of eternity. Anything based on Looney Tunes is probably not going to be a good understanding of something. But like, there's a harp right there. That's our, our graphic isn't Bugs Bunny with a harp. It's, it's David. Uh, we are going to worship for eternity. But in our human understanding of what worship is and in our human understanding of who God is, maybe we do have this fear. Well, that's not going to be fun forever. But let me tell you, Worship, when it's real spirit and truth worship, it just leads to more and more excitement. It is an adventure. It's a discovery. Like we would discover more and more and deeper places in the Lord the more we worship. Lisa and I will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary this year. And we've had 20 great years of marriage. We love each other. We like each other most of the time. We love each other all the time. Like each other most of the time. And even those moments we might not like each other all the way, eventually we like each other again. We're good at saying, we're good at, uh, we're, we're good at, at moving past that and moving forward. Uh, but, but you know, marriage, when it's done right, man, 20 years, it's not less fun than it was 20 years ago. Man, it's awesome that there's no one that knows me better than Lisa. There's nobody that knows Lisa better than me. We discover new things in each other. We get to know each other more. We grow together. You know, your personality changes over time. I think there's a lot of people that, that they're married for, for 20, 25, 30 years, and then they end up getting a divorce because sometime in that big lump of years, they stop getting to know each other. Something gets to focus. Maybe it's focuses is on kids for 18 years or, or 20 years. Maybe it's on a job. And then all of a sudden, one of those things goes away. Kids go to college. A job ends. And you reconnect with your spouse, and you realize, I don't know this person anymore. I don't know who this person is because in those 15, 20 years, people change. But when marriage is done right, 
and you seek each other and in relationship with each other, even when you're doing other things like raising kids and having a career, you don't grow apart, you grow together. And it's beautiful. And 20 years of marriage is way sweeter than one year of marriage. 20 years of marriage is way sweeter than 10 years of marriage. Just like we sang, if he dresses the lilies, how much more will he dress you? If 20 years of marriage is even sweeter, man, how much more sweeter is a million years of worshiping God unencumbered in heaven going to be? I guess if we're honest, if Lisa and I have stayed married for a thousand years, we might get to know everything about each other because we are in this side of eternity, limited as humans in a way. However, we serve a God who is unlimited. And as far as we go and as much as we seek him, there will always be more to find and more to discover. Worship is not just something we do on Sundays and that we'll do in heaven. It is an adventure that we will be on for all of eternity. It's our greatest call. It's what we were created to do. Adam and Eve were put in the garden with no work to do other than enjoy creation and walk with the Lord. And Revelation 4.11 says they were created for his pleasure. You were created to worship and to bring God pleasure. What does that have to do? Because worship is all about relationship. And religion will be exposed when worship becomes extreme and worship becomes unencumbered. It will expose religion. What does that mean? The examples I've used, and this is just a bit of a review, is when Mary poured the oil on Jesus' feet. It was a beautiful moment, yet Judas got very uncomfortable, and he said, that is a whole lot of money we could be using to serve the poor. Well, we're going to get into Jesus' rebuke of Judas here in a few minutes. There's another moment when David was leading the Ark of the Covenant back into, uh, the, into Jerusalem. It had been taken. It had been taken by the Philistines. And then when Israel recovered it, it ended up at this guy's house, Obed-Edom. And he was super blessed because the Ark of the Covenant was in his house. David said, let's go get it. So joyfully, he led the procession of Israelites and the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And he was dancing with all of his might. His wife, Michal, who was Saul's daughter, Saul was the religious king. He was the people pleaser. He was the one who was rejected by God. And his first thing he said after God rejected him to the prophet Samuel was, honor me in front of the people one last time. He wasn't concerned about being rejected by God. He was concerned about being rejected by the people. Yet David, when he messed up and the prophet Nathan called him out, he said, please, please, I've sinned against God and God alone. And he went to the Lord and God made things right. And he didn't reject David. Michal, Saul's daughter, was a bit of a people pleaser as well. I guess we get some insight into her. When she looked out of her window and saw her husband dancing with all of his might, boy, that religious spirit peeked its head up and she said, look at this honored king undressing in front of everybody who's looking, acting like a fool, basically. And David's response says, you think this is undignified? Well, you haven't seen anything yet. I'll get even more undignified than this. We're also going to get into his response because it went even deeper. We're going to talk about that too because what we're going to focus on today is not so much the religious spirit and what it looks like, which that's what we focused on last week, but today is going to be how we are to respond because that's important. We don't just see religion. We don't just see this exposed so we can just, oh, look, there's some religion in that person. Or 
we might not want to admit it, there's some religion in me. But when we see it in ourselves or others, how do we respond? That's what I want to get out today. I meant to say this last week. I don't think I did. If you're here with us and you're, and you're wondering, maybe I've never heard of religion as a negative thing, maybe go back and listen to last week's message because I don't have time to get into all that. But I heard someone say this. I think it's a great uh, picture that religion is what's left when God leaves the room. That's what religion is. Uh, We have lots of religions in this world. However, Jesus did not come to earth to give us another religion. He came to give us relationship. Here's a huge difference. Religion judges. That's kind of a good definition. When you see religion in somebody, they're judging. Judas judged Mary's offering to Jesus. It's too expensive. Mikhail judged David's dancing. She goes, you're making a fool of yourself. You should be a dignified king. Religion judges because it's based on a system of rules and regulations. Relationship with Jesus doesn't judge. Who needs another relationship in their life where someone's going to judge them and tell them every time they messed up? Let's be honest. Who in this room doesn't already realize it every time we mess up? Does anybody in this room actually need somebody else in their life pointing out, hey, you just messed up? Do you not think I know I messed up? I know I messed up. You know you messed up. I don't need anybody to tell me. Religion will tell you every time. Here's the difference. Here's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came, lived for us, died for us. So when God looks at his children now, does he see our sins? He doesn't. The word says he sees children, sons and daughters covered by the blood of the lamb. He doesn't judge us anymore because there's no sin resident in us to judge. It doesn't mean we're not sinners. Sometimes we make mistakes. I'm sure we do. However, the Bible says over and over again, our sins are covered by the blood of the lamb, washed away. Just like the Old Testament priest examined the lamb that people brought for their sin sacrifice. And when the lamb was clean, the lamb was worthy to be slain. And if that lamb was sacrificed, the family was forgiven. The priest Our high priest, God, still judges now the lamb. Because of Jesus, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, when we go to him as believers, he judges and looks at the lamb. Is the lamb still worthy? He is. That means we have open access to the throne of God. That's why it's not a religion. He's not looking and judging us anymore. He judged Jesus. He's innocent. And now we can read all over the New Testament, I can read you a verse here in Romans, and I will in a second. But it says we are fully accepted by God because of Jesus. He sees us as perfect. He said that he'll remember our sins no more. A lady who I love very much who passed away years ago, Miss Jean, used to say this. I heard her say it one time. I never forgot it. She said, who in this room thinks and believes God can do anything? And everybody raised their hand. No one's going to say no to that. She goes, well, I know that some of you will put your hands down because you find it very hard to believe that he can't remember your sins. If he can do anything, why would you not believe he can take away his own ability to see our sins, to remember our sins? Because that's what he did. God knows everything. He could look at us and see our sins if he wanted to, but he judges Jesus. He took away his own right to look at believers and see the mess-ups and the failures. We believe God can do anything, but there's some people that say, I don't believe he can do that. Well, believe he can do anything, especially when he says in his word, this is what I'm going to do. And that's what he said, and that's what he does. So when religion 
pops up in your life, whether it is from somebody else or you, boy, I got something I think you'll remember today. Religion is a good old-fashioned word. It starts with an R. So I thought I'll get real churchy and fun today, and I'll give you four R words. Steps one, two, three, and four. Four R words, and it was completely by accident. I was looking at my notes, and I was like, man, all those words start with R's. That's kind of cool. Ava's laughing sarcastically. My daughter... She already hates this message. She's like, four R's, that's stupid. But you're going to remember it. Okay, so religion has been exposed somewhere in your life, uh, however that looks. It looks like judgment. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. A lot of you have heard it. Um, I'm going to tell you a great story that is about uh, my dad, and it is the opposite of somebody who operates out of religion. If you've heard it, that's fine. I want you to keep this in mind. My dad was the pastor here until he passed away seven years ago. Lisa and I stepped in. He planted the church with my mom. They founded the church in 92. It was probably like 2005 or 6. And our worship team, Lisa and I led worship. And, and Sharon's brother, uh, Bobby Little, was our worship pastor. And, um, and we all served together, and it was fun. And Bobby, before he uh, became the worship pastor here, made a living playing pop and rock music in bars. That was what he did, and he had an encounter with the Lord and started leading worship here, but he knew every song known to man. He could just play it in a second. And one Sunday, my dad walks in, and if you heard me tell us stories about my dad, I'm telling you, he was the most unreligious person you would have ever met. He makes the religion in you. He would make it, I, I can tell you time after time, when he made the religion in me peak up. I, I, I got to know myself better because he made me uncomfortable. Sometimes that religion in you starts to just feel uncomfortable, right? That, that's somehow, that's sometimes how it manifests here in the natural world. He walks in one Sunday, no explanation, looks at the band and says, hey, do you guys know that song by Prince, Purple Rain? He said, I need y'all to play that song today. And Bobby says, during church? And my dad says, yeah, yeah, just play that song, Purple Rain. And, and I guess Pastor Barry, like he didn't know, because I think that song might be about drugs, you know? People... People say it's like a purple haze, you know, when you're high. And dad says, I know what the song is about. Just, I need you to play Purple Rain today. And Bobby says, you want me to change any lyrics? And he goes, nope, just play Purple Rain. So we practiced the song Purple Rain. And during church, we played the song Purple Rain. Did it feel weird? It felt weird. Did it feel awkward? It felt awkward. Did I feel uncomfortable? I felt very uncomfortable. Guess what? That was the religion in me, feeling uncomfortable. That's an example of religion. Let me tell you what's an example of relationship. After church, a lady who had been coming to our church for about seven or eight months alone came up to us rejoicing, said her husband just got saved. She had been believing that her husband, who was not a believer, would come to church with her, but he never would every Sunday. They had a good relationship, so it was kind of a joke. She'd be like, want to go to church today? He'd be like, absolutely not, but you have fun. So she'd come to church. He'd stay home. But one Sunday morning, they had plans I don't know, 1230 or something. So his, his only option was to come with her to church if they wanted to be on time. So on the way to church, she said, hey, you're coming to church. You're going to get saved today. And he says, yeah, right. Only if the band plays Purple Rain. <laughs> we had no idea. But you know what? The band played Purple Rain that day. Do you know who was the first person at the altar when my dad gave the altar call? That dude. He got saved that day. Listen, religion will get to people. How, religion will keep people away for the smallest thing. Relationship will bring people in no matter what. 
I said this last week, but religion would leave Zacchaeus in the tree. Relationship went and ate at his house. Religion would have stoned that woman in the street. Relationship said, hey, I'm perfect. I could throw this stone if I wanted to, but I don't want to. And, relig- and, and relationship saved her life. Religion would have been like, no, don't play that song in church. That's an evil song. Relationship said, you know what? If it's what the Lord's saying, we're just going to do it. And there's a dude that stepped into the kingdom of God that day. So religion, how do we respond? Our first R word, step one, we're going to recognize that it's religion. I said this last week, things lose power in the light. Darkness, the only power it has is that you can't see in it. So you bring some light into darkness and you'll see where you're going. There'll be no dangers. And if there are dangers, they'll be exposed. So when religion is exposed, the first step is to recognize it. I mean, out loud even. Why not recognize it out loud? Right? It's a good thing. Have a conversation with somebody or just yourself. That's religion. When I started feeling uncomfortable about playing the song Purple Rain, I wish I'd have had the wherewithal to be like, man, that's just religion. But I'll be honest, I played it reluctantly. Back then, every Christian musician that plays the bass is just because they play something else, and one day there's no bass player, and they have to learn to play the bass. I was playing the bass back then because we had guitar players and piano players, so I had to play the bass. I didn't want to play the bass, Purple Rain, that day, but I did. It was so uncomfortable. I wish I would have recognized, hey, that's just religion. Because you know what? Sometimes relationship comes into the temple and turns over some tables. They need to be turned over. That's what Jesus did. Uh, Part of my testimony is a guy at camp when I was 15 told all of our campers to make a list of sins and every night go down that list and ask God to forgive you. That was religion. I'm telling you, that controlled my life for two or three years. I wish in that moment I'd either had somebody around me or I myself could have recognized, man, that's just religion. That's not in the Bible. That's not what the Holy Spirit says. That's not what Jesus ever told anybody to do. If I would have recognized that in the moment, it would not have ruined my life for the next two or three years. But when darkness is exposed to light, it loses its power. So you want religion to lose its power? Recognize it immediately. The second thing we're going to do, the second R, is remember that when that religious spirit pops its head up, remember that you have authority over it. You have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. How do I know that? Because Jesus was given all authority in heaven and on earth, and we are just like him in this world. He's a part of you. He lives on the inside of you. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you even to the end of the age. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And 1 John 4, 15 through 17, whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Who in here confesses Jesus is the Son of God? Put your hands up. Come on, just a little action to our uh, message today. I think that's everybody in here. So that means this applies to you. Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has unto us. God is love. And he that dwells in God dwells in love and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. 
You want to know where the Bible says you have the authority of Jesus? Right here. As He is, so are you in this world. When religion peeks its head up, you have authority and you can tell it to back down. You're the one with the power, not religion. Relationship has so much more power than religion. When religion says you've fallen short again and you're laying in the street exposed, a crowd around you ready to throw stones, relationship steps in and with authority disperses the crowd, drops all the stones, lifts you up and says, look, now go and sin no more. That's relationship. Matthew 24, 43. This is one of my favorite verses because it is so practical. Understand this, Jesus said. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. It's like, duh. Who doesn't know that? Would you unlock the door for the burglar? Would you leave it open? Hey, here's my address, like Facebook Marketplace right? Like best case scenario, you get like five bucks. Worst case, I'm not even going to talk about the worst case. Uh, Facebook marketplace um, is a fun world that a lot of people live in. But if you knew a burglar was coming to your house, you'd lock the door. You keep it shut. It's practical. Listen, there's a burglar coming to your house. There's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And let me tell you, I can't say this as a fact, but I know that as of, I know this, one of the ways people get taken out all the time is through the attack of religion. It holds people down because, listen, you'll never measure up to the list. You will never in your humanity measure up, but Jesus did. Jesus did, and that's our gift as believers is that what Jesus did is now applied to us. So remember that you have authority and you are accepted, not because of your own good doing, but because of Jesus. And that's where we're going to get into the third step. Step two, remember, you have authority. Step three is a little bit like step two, but it is different. You're going to remind yourself that even when you're humanity, when you don't measure up, that's not what God's looking at. You're accepted because of Jesus. That's what happened in both of the examples. I told you we're going to look at the the response to the religion in Judas and the response to the religion that we saw in Michal. When Judas says, why is Martha pouring out this oil, that money, it could have been sold and we could have funded this ministry. Fill in the blank. We could have fed the hungry. We could have clothed the naked with that money. And I love that Jesus is the one that responds to Judas. And he says, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What Jesus did there is he pointed out she wasn't doing it for you, Judas. And she wasn't doing this for anybody else. She was doing this for me. And I'm accepting this offering. And this was a special moment. And when religion peeks its head up, remind yourself, I'm not doing this for anybody else but I'm living for Jesus. I'm going after what the Lord wants beyond what anybody else wants. If the Lord says do something, everybody around me says do something else, I'm going to do what the Lord says because I'm going after him, not any of these people. If every man and woman reject me, I'm still accepted by God. Remind yourself that you're accepted by him and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. A similar thing happened 
when Mikhail said to David in disgust, look how you looked today. All your dignity is gone. Here's David's reply. This is the man after God's own heart's reply. I was dancing before the Lord. He goes straight to God. It wasn't for you, Mikhail. This was for the Lord. And then he gets a little personal. He chose me above your dad, remember? And all his family. Why is that important? Because the family he's referring to, Saul, was the people pleaser. He's saying, yeah, I'm not a people pleaser like your dad. I am going after the Lord, and he has accepted my offering. He chose me above the people pleaser. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So yes, I celebrate before the Lord and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Even when I don't accept myself, I am accepted and loved by God. Even when I see the flaws in my own life, I need to remind myself that I have a God that doesn't look at me and see those flaws. I don't know how it works, but he looks at me and sees the best. He looks at me and sees Jesus. He looks at me and says, accepted, loved, be loved every time. Even when I myself look at myself and am disgusted. Man, that's good. That's good. Because when we're judging ourselves, that's also religion. When you're ready to get wild in worship and something inside of you says, "Uh uh-uh, not after that night you had, that'd just be hypocritical. When you're ready to get wild in worship and something inside of you says, nope, nope, you drove here all the way screaming at the family and you know it. You had to roll the windows up so the person at the red light wouldn't hear you screaming at the kids. You checked your phone to make sure you hadn't accidentally doubted anybody. Did they have a message on their phone of you screaming at your kids or your spouse? And religion will remind you of that. What does religion look like? That's what it looks like. When you're ready to go after God, and maybe it's something inside of you that says, no, 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 you're not worthy. That's religion. And that's when, number one, you recognize it. No, that's religion. That's not the Lord. And then remember, you have authority over religion. Get out of me. Those negative thoughts, I'm going to stop having you. Begin to put your mind on the things of God. And then remind yourself and remember that you're not even worried about being accepted by yourself or anybody else. You're only care is that you're accepted by God and God alone and that's enough and then I'm telling you at that point when you get that religion out worship gets wild and you know what let's just be it's kind of fun dancing around and and being free is fun it's way better like I used to be the guy that would like just stand on the wall at weddings and school dances till I met my wife and she said you are not that guy anymore and I said no I am I don't like dancing she goes doesn't matter everybody else is just as worried about how they look and she pulled me onto a dance floor and now we don't leave weddings until the dancing stops and we don't stop dancing until we're the last ones dancing and it's exhausting but we have the best time and now that we're 40 it's even more exhausting and it's like why did we do that can we even make it home can we drive this car for 30 minutes awake I guess we have at least at this point but I know my wife and I'm telling you when we hit 50 we're going to be dancing at every wedding until the last song is played as well Religion will tell you you're not worthy. Back down. Don't go to the front. Don't lift your hands up. Hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. When did Jesus ever do that? He only did it to the religious people. He only did it. He only did it to the people 
that were saying, we're right and you're wrong. He only said that to the people that said, we're making it, we're good enough, and you're not. He said, you're hypocrites. The people that knew they were sinners and came to him, never one time did he say, hypocrite. Why do we do it? He went to their house, Zacchaeus, let me go eat with you. Man, I hope Jesus never looks at me and says, you think you got it and they don't? Hypocrite. Judging, that's what religion is. When you're alone with your best friend and you start bringing up, oh, did you see? Can you believe she did this? Can you believe? Gossip is a form of religion. It's a form of religion. It's putting you on a pedestal above whoever it is you're talking about. And that is religion. Recognize it. Maybe you're like, well, I can't stop doing that. It's part of my whole personality. At least do step one. Recognize it when it happens. I know I'm being religious right now. It's like with all due respect. With all due respect, and then you can say anything disrespectful you want, right? In the South, we can do that. With all due respect, ma'am, that haircut is awful. In the South, all you have to do is say with all due respect, and then you can say anything you want. So maybe before gossip, we should just be like, listen, I know this is gossip, but, and then maybe you'll stop yourself, maybe you'll keep going, but it's at least a start, right? But God accepts you. He is pleased with you. He loves you. I want to read this verse in Romans. Well, I'll get to it. It's Romans 5, 17. If I don't find it in my notes, I'll actually open a real Bible and read it. I'll get to it here in a second. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the fourth R. So here's what we got. We got recognize that it's religion. Remember you have authority. Remind yourself that God is pleased with you and nothing else matters. And then step four. This is a good one. Read. Read. Open up the Bible and read about the one that brought you relationship and rejected religion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all the story of Jesus. And let me tell you something profound. If you want to understand God and how he operates, read about Jesus. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He said that in response to the disciples saying, show us the Father. If you show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. And he said, just watch me. Watch me and you'll see the Father. So here's the statement I want to make. If you don't see an attribute or a trait in the life of Jesus, you have at the very least reason to question if that is a trait found in God. There's some people who are like, oh, Jesus loves, right? But, but God is, man, he's, he's hard on me. God's hard on me. He's put me through hard times. No, you put yourself through hard times. Maybe the world puts you through hard times. You have a God that was with you through it all. Psalm 23 is all about what God does for you. And then there's one line about what you do for you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But even when I walk through that valley, we have a God who's so good, he is with me. The rod and thy staff come from me. He walks with us into it. Hey, don't go this way. I'm sure he's saying that. Hey, turn around. That's the valley of the shadow of death. Well, are we going there? All right, I guess we're going there. He doesn't miss a step. He's with you the whole time. But how about let him lead you? Instead of you leading God into that valley, let him lead you. Read the Gospels. What that will do is that will nail in those reminders that you're reminding yourself, I'm accepted. When you read about Jesus, how he accepted the ones around him. Mary Magdalene, a prostitute, who really became one of his disciples. 
the one who anointed his feet for burial, the one who got the news from the angel, he's not here. He's alive. Go tell everybody else. She was a prostitute. But relationship brought her in where religion would have and did reject her. Read the Gospels. Read about Jesus. And here's the last thing I want to say. Uh, when, when, when you see religion peek its head out of your own life or somebody else's, talked about four ways we can respond. Um, another thing to keep in mind, I mentioned this last week, but when you see religion in somebody, especially somebody you have a relationship with, man, don't be weird about it. Don't, don't cut them off and, and I'm no longer your friend anymore. You're religious. That's religious in and of itself, right? Don't cut people off. Love them and then take this chance to minister the love of God to them. It may not even be in that moment, but as your relationship progresses with somebody, be aware, recognize that some religion pops its head up and then minister the love of God to them, whatever that looks like. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit but I wanted to make sure I say that. We don't see these things in others so we can just write them off and say, bad person, religion. No, you'll see it in yourself more than you'll see it in anybody else. But when you do see this in somebody else, man, understand that you can minister the love of God to them, maybe like nobody else. I'm gonna read Romans 5, 17, and uh, I'm gonna invite the band to go ahead and come up. We're gonna close here in just a second. Here we go. Here we go. Romans 5. I'm going to start actually at verse 15. What a difference between our sin and God's generous gift of forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin. Isn't it funny? Just thinking about this as I'm reading. Like, my my brother-in-law is so funny. We've talked about this before. Why do we get gifts on our birthday? Like, what our accomplishment is that we survived another year, so people give us presents. It's like, that's kind of funny when you think about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I love birthday presents. I like getting them, and I like giving them. And I'm pretty extravagant with birthday presents when it comes to my family especially. But if you break it down, we're getting gifts just for being born. But I kind of love that because why do we get this free gift of forgiveness? because we get born again you don't earn it you don't deserve it you just survived long enough to have this moment where you said i believe in jesus and then you're born again and wait why am i getting this gift of forgiveness because you were born that's pretty cool so maybe next time we got a birthday remember that get a gift and be like i'm getting this just because i was born I got forgiven just because I got born again. You ready? The result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. So if you feel condemned as a believer, it's sin making you feel condemned, not God making you feel condemned. And the result of God's gift is different. The result of that one man's sin for Adam's sin led to condemnation, but we have the free gift of being accepted by God. Did you know that was that plain written in black and white in the Bible? 
man, you should get your Bible. You should highlight that verse. You should circle that verse. You should write it on an index card and carry it around in your pocket. Put it on your phone. Make it the screensaver on your phone. If you're into tattoos, tattoo it on your arm. Tattoo it on the inside of your eyelids. I don't know. Get, get a reminder as much as you can that in black and white, in the Bible, Romans 5, Paul said, you are accepted by God. Why? Why did I get this gift? Simply for being born again. Because of Jesus. You have the free gift of being accepted by God, even though we are guilty of many sins. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how to get past sin? Do you want to know how to stop doing the things that have held you bound? There's your answer right there. All who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death. That doesn't start with your actions. That starts right here in your mind. You have to know you're forgiven. You have to remind yourself that you're forgiven. You have to know you're accepted. You have to remind yourself that you're accepted. And when religion, whether it's in you or somebody else, says not worthy, you have to recognize it and say, Jesus is, and that means I am. And that's powerful. Let's say that together. Jesus is, so I am. You ready? One, two, three. Jesus is, so I am. You're worthy because Jesus is worthy. So when you're ready to get wild and your mind says, nope, 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 nope. You say, yes, 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 yes. I'll get even wilder. I'll be even more undignified. I'll dance till everybody in here thinks I'm on something. That's your four R's. When religion peeks its head up, I kind of picture it like a, you know those prairie dogs you see in National Geographic, they put their heads up real fast, look around the hole, and then they, they get back down. That's like religion. It's like a little rodent that peeks its head up, and like we're playing whack-a-mole. You gotta recognize it, whack it. Step one, recognize it. Step two, remember you have authority. Remind yourself, step three, you are accepted by God and that's all that matters. And step four, read the word and see it for yourself. Amen. Man, let's all stand and worship a good, good God who accepts us on our best and worst days together for a few moments. And after we worship, I'll have our prayer ministers come up we'll close our service out. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much and we're grateful for your word. And we are so grateful that you accept us no matter what. Amen.